Death Cap Beef Wellington or Dutton's Seafood Chowder? You decide. Edition of Spin Cycle. <laughs> the media show that tries to make sense of the chaos that is our 24-hour news cycle or maybe just throws more mud into the water. Uh, broadcasting from the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation lands for which sovereignty has never been ceded, always was, always will be Aboriginal land. I'm Jess Lee and I'm back after a little couple of weeks off and in the studio with Rachel Withers. Hey, Rachel, how are you going? Hi, Jess. Good. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. I'm, I'm, it's funny um, not being in the studio for a couple of weeks and it's like, you know, the whole riding a bike thing, things that are just second nature. All of a sudden you're like, oh, is that the button or that It looks natural. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was like, oh, yeah, that's, let's not mess it up. Um, we're going to be talking to a mate of yours, Xavier George, who's going to share what it's been like to become the media story this week. Yeah, uh, this is a good friend of mine who uh, some of you might have seen floating around on social media because he's become a little bit of a meme. Um, yeah, <laughs> he uh, he was on uh, this week's Insights Insights Boomers versus Millennials this week, and we are going to talk to him later on. After that, we are going to talk about. Um, Kitchen Cabinet, which has returned with Annabelle Crabb. We did sort of give it a pre-assessment a couple of weeks ago when the announcement, or a few weeks ago now, when the announcement that it was going to return came out. So now it's been on, and this week's episode did feature Peter Dutton. Um, uh, We're going to have a chat about um, how it stands up and uh, whether it has changed or whether the same criticism still applies. We're also going to hear from... Uh, your experiences at the Labor Conference, Rachel, lucky you. Yes, <laughs> I haven't quite recovered yet. Um, I haven't, pretty much haven't stopped working since I got back from that, so I've got a lot to say. <laughs> yeah, I can see there's just a couple of little toothpicks keeping those eyes open. <laughs> so thank you. For, for, well, I, I'm also really keen. You were on the drum a couple of weeks ago and I'm so keen to um, to understand. Uh, I'm sure our listeners would like to know the sort of how the process of that, how that show works as well because that's quite a unique sort of um, current affairs format. So lots to talk about. And at the end, if we get time, we might um, have a look uh, over in the States at a pretty interesting story about a really small town newspaper in Kansas that is um, blown up into a, a, a kind of a global news story. Melbourne's own Triple R. We are back to talk to one of my friends, actually. Um, we're going to be talking to Xavier George, um, who this week was on SBS Insight, uh, talking about boomers versus millennials. And a, a fairly up... inflammatory show title <laughs> already, so yes. I can't wait to hear what happens. Already setting us up for conflict. Yeah. Um, but welcome to the show, Xavier. Thank you. What's good? <laughs> um, so... How did you end up on Insight Boomer versus Millennials? <laughs> I, uh, I was on Reddit during my workday, as occasionally happens, and um, just literally some journalists posted and was asking about housing and cost of living and I don't even know what. And I just shot them a message and said, hey, I've got opinions, and I just kind of spilled at them. And then she said, let's tee up a call, and we, I just kind of ranted for a few hours. And, uh, and then, yeah, got invited on the show. So, so what happened, Xavier? Because it's, you know, I mean, Insight, I'm sure our listeners are familiar with the format. Um, people tell, you know, there is a topic. People tell their story, their personal story. And it's, there's often a little bit of um, publicity for the guests before the show leading up to yeah. it. 
but it doesn't normally spill out uh, until after uh, to after as well. But it seems like um, you've peaked this week. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. You peaked in life. <laughs> Post-broadcast, post this is your moment. Uh, in, yeah. including, a, including a fantastic photo of you holding your cat, which... Dog. <laughs> dog, sorry, dog. It's a dog, I think you'll find. Sh- I'm sorry, I should have had my glasses on. Rachel showed it to me over the desk and I'm like, this is amazing. <laughs> so how did, how did... What happened on the show... Um, there was a there was a boomer. We do have a villain in this story. Can you oh, yeah. can you explain what unfolded during the during the show during the the kind of taping live taping? So I mean it was pretty respectful actually. You know we got in the room and uh, I don't I had <laughs> she asked me if I'd seen inside. I was like yeah of course I've seen inside. I'd never seen inside in my life. So I like jumped on YouTube. I was like watching episodes of it, but the format had like changed. They used to have like. Three people up the front, and they were the focus of the That's interview. That's right, they, yeah. Like, well, two people. It was not like that. It was like a whole room full of people. And I was mm. like, what the hell is going on? But then, yeah, it kind of was that by default anyway, because it was really me and, like, maybe four or five other people who did most of the talking. Um, and it was basically just asking for the experiences, you know, what's your thing. They kind of cobbled together the angle that me as, like, the guy who kind of had every reason to be able to buy a home and yet couldn't quite pull it together. Um, I guess I was the token rich boy, which, you know, I'm used to that. So. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, it was actually a pretty respectful debate. I came out of there thinking, oh, they didn't embarrass anyone. No one got branded as, like, the villain. No one copped the mm. villain edit. Um but then sometimes the internet makes its own villains, I guess. So, like, after it came out, I mean, it was just, you said it yourself, it's the most inflammatory title, this uh, Boomers versus Millennials. It was, like, really tapping into it. And by the way, it was, like, the, the topic of the hour. I feel like I'm seeing that on all sorts of channels, all sorts of different things. Um, but, yeah. You mean it, about it, uh, the uh, property, um, being able to afford property, people being yeah, priced out, renters versus just- owners kind of thing. That's right. That's right. Very much. You know, it's really probably the hot topic. Um, was it? Was the yeah. edit? Did, did have you watched the edited show? Did that reflect your experience? Yeah, yeah pretty much. Yeah. Okay. I mean, there was a couple of bits they cut out about. Um, we we didn't really get into the nuts and bolts of like policy and things that could change. There it was more about the personal experience. But it was it was basically as I remember it. Yeah. One thing that I was really interested in because I obviously was watching it live um, on the night, um, mm. and then. You know, you you put forward, I'd say, some quite nuanced opinions on, you know, the fact that you don't blame boomers themselves for your Mm. predicament, but you blame the system. But then Mm. in the various, you know, other pieces of coverage that this show has gotten, you know, like news.com.au has written it up, Mm. do you feel like your points that you made on the show have been fairly summed up by other journalists? Kind of, I think. You know, I've definitely seen, like... A lot of the comments under these sorts of things have been stuff like, oh, well, he thinks that well, but I also had a hard time and I was going up and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, yeah, but that's not the point, is it? I'm not saying that I'm not, like, you know, living hand-mouth or anything like that. But it's like, yeah, I do think a lot of people are kind of willfully misunderstanding it. I think that the – well, you know what it is? It's a, it's – it's the clickbait title. It's millennials versus boomers. You get a few people in there. You get the boomer up front, and the rest of us like, yeah, it can be whatever. It's it was pretty much um, pretty much factual, I would say. Some of the coverage, like the news.com article. Um, I will say this: uh, SBS got me to write a piece for them online, um, and I <laughs> I took too long to get back to them from where their edits. They just went ahead and published the piece with the big edits in it. In mm-hmm. my opinion, kind of maybe seem a bit like a a bit whiny. I don't know. They cut out all the jokes. And, uh, 
there were some pretty strong, strong jokes. I suppose if anyone wants to see the uh, full version, I, I posted it on my Twitter as a screenshot a couple of days ago, and it's it's worth a read. The original. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, but uh, one thing. Oh, sorry. Go you go. On. Yep. No, no. Keep going. I was just going to say, in connection with that, they asked for a couple of photos. And so I sent them some, you know, normal shots just off my, you know, camera. And I sent them one kind of gag shot of me in the sunnies holding my dog like it was a, like a handbag. And they went for it. <laughs> so in their social post to, like, promote their article, it had, like, a bunch of, like, quotes from this with, uh, you know, shots of me and all stuff like, you know, I've been saving my whole life, we're doing the right thing, I've got 100 grand student debt, yada, yada, and then, like, tasteful shots of me. And then one of them is just me looking like a bikey gang with my dog in my hand. <laughs> I mean, you look you look like a millennial. Yeah, I think they've, they've tried to turn you into the, the token millennial. You kind of came it, out the main character of this episode. I mean, Bruce was the, the main character, Boomer, and you're the main character millennial, and they're really leaning into into this oh, yeah. personality <laughs> they've given you. So, so let's... Talk about Bruce because they did sort of. Um, he was the, he was supposed to be the repre- he was the representative boomer who, you know, yeah. he, the the kind of sound bites were that he had to eat um, lince mean meat lince lean <laughs> mince meat, mince meat. <laughs> mean meat <laughs> to, to to afford. But what was Bruce's story? Oh, I don't even really remember. I, I, we started talking, I thought, oh, good, he's on our side. But then it didn't kind of end up that way. So to be honest with you, I kind of zoned out a bit. But he, <laughs> he was just kind of a standard, like, I did it my way. I, I you know, tightened my belt. I bought in the suburbs. And then he was saying something or other about how his daughter has uh, saved up to buy a home in only two years. And he kind of alluded to the fact he might own multiple commercial properties. Mm. So I think he's, you know, not to, not to hate old Bruce, but I think he is quite wealthy. And I think that kind of wealth just kind of dismisses you a bit. He just doesn't quite get it. I mean, I, I feel like the media just loves these stories. You, oh, you yeah. get them, you know, in the, the Age and the Sydney Morning Herald and news.com.au all the time where it's like something about some kind of, you know, bootstraps boomer and then it turns out yeah. you know, they but have 17 properties. There's an alliteration, boomer Bruce. It just writes <laughs> itself. <laughs> um, but I suppose... The debate does get kind of whittled down to this boomers, millennials that doesn't mm. really ever get us anywhere. How do you feel mm. insight went with trying to add some nuance to the debate? I, what was really good is that they had a pair of, like, economists in. There were guys who actually kind of knew what they were talking about. Mm. They weren't just guys with opinions like the rest of us, <laughs> um, which was great because I think one of them worked for Commonwealth Bank. And so they just kind of laid down the law statistically, like what was going on, how it used to be, how it compares now, what's going to happen in the future. Um, and I'll tell you what, it was resoundingly on the millennial side. Like, they were not holding any punches. They weren't pretending to, like, play both sides. They were saying, yeah, it's worse now. It's going to get worse without policy change. And it was it was a total game-changer for the show, you know? It wasn't just a bunch of people calling in, like, a radio show, like, right now. It was like... It was like <laughs> they had, like... It was like having a judge at a debate, you know? Someone who can say, all right, now's enough. One side wins. You know what I mean? Um, so, Xavier, how are you going to capitalise on this... Um... <laughs> You, on your I'm new... going to shit post till the cows come home. My Instagram's getting a workout. <laughs> uh, have you become a Reddit celebrity? I know we, we can't keep you because you're going to your netball netball game oh, yeah. and I That's can right. imagine that this gives you, like, hero status on the court, of course. <laughs> That's right. It's just the millennial character they forced it on me, you know? I didn't even know how to play netball last week. <laughs> In a North millennial stereotype. That's right, that's right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Dave. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>
Thank you. It was a good time. Thank you. Brilliant. We've been talking to Xavier George, the millennial dog-owning, <laughs> renting netballer from the inner north. That's right, Triple R. Kitchen Cabinet was on this week. It finally, finally made it back on. Oh no, last week. This was the second. Yeah, episode, no, it was. We had Dai Lee uh, last Tuesday, and then and then this week's Tuesday we had Peter Dutton. Peter Dutton. Now we did talk about it a few weeks ago. Um, we sort of talked about the concept of it coming back, and that perhaps after the um, after the sort of mega spin era of Morrison, it wasn't necessarily the right way to approach kind of, um, I guess, I don't know, holding leaders to account, you know. Morrison obviously massively used spin and media kind of image manipulation and all that kind of stuff to... To present a um, to present an image that perhaps doesn't didn't reflect the way that um, the government was operating, and so we were we were sort of questioning whether this was the right time for a show that um, combined, you know, a little bit of uh, dining, whining and dining in a politician's house with an interview. Having seen it, I mean, there's definitely a change of tone this time around from last time from from Annabelle Crabb. What, what's your thought? What are your thoughts, Rachel? Well, I actually wrote about this on Tuesday before it went to air mm. um, because when I opened up the various media news sites um, on Tuesday morning, they had some previews mm. um, and the headlines we were getting from it, um, the ABC chose to frame it as Peter Dutton says he likely experienced post-traumatic stress disorder from policing career. Um, and this article, you know, in a little, you know, two-minute snippet of him talking about the probable untreated uh, PTSD that he had, um, you know, sort of... Seemed to answer the worst fears pretty that much. we had for the show. I mean, it, it, it is this... Yeah, because your assessment on Tuesday was pretty scathing based yeah. on those snippets. I mean, it was it was scathing of... Dutton first and foremost mm. um, because if, you know, it, I basically was quite bothered by the implication of this article that he has PTSD, that is why he views things in black and white, um, that's why he, you know, the fact that his time as a cop has shaped him as a as a politician um, and that's why he says racist things seem to be like the undertone well, the of thing. this coverage. It, yeah, it also, um, the pre, before it went to air, the coverage was him explaining away Mm. This the thing the most some of the most inflammatory things he said publicly and the most some of the most divisive things he said publicly. So it did feel like the the fears that the show would just be another opportunity for politicians to varnish their image were founded. Did you find it though when you watched the show? I watched I watched it today on catch up. Um and it was probably a lot more awkward <laughs> And hard hitting than I'd expected. I mean, there were it moments. It was really awkward. Mm. Like it was just like a uncomfortable watch. Um, because Actually, I don't think hard hitting is the right word. But well, it I was mean, more. I think it was that, less puffy. A little bit less puffy. Look, the start of it felt very puffy. I mm. absolutely hated watching them stand there in the kitchen talking about how his parents' divorce had shaped him. That and and I mean, it was just uncomfortable. It was yeah. just. When she arrives with her basket and she, she's seen her cook, her, 
she custom. gives him a hug yeah. and, and you can tell she doesn't want to. Um, uh, and also, can I just say, the fact that he chose, and I, and I you know, whatever, but you, automatically you see the choices. You know, this was the farmhouse mm-hmm. as opposed to the high-rise, <laughs> million, you know, multi-million dollar Brisbane apartment. The choice of home one of his multiple homes, stuff mm. like that. All of those choices frame the image. So he's there in his, you know, chinos and shirt and boots uh, greeting Annabelle Crab on his, um, you know, fucking balcony or whatever on his farmhouse. Mm. And it's like... Yeah, but I, I will say once they actually sat down for the meal, it was the cooking that I hated. And look, to be honest, mm. I think I hate that part of like a night anyway when like people haven't settled in and so you just someone's saw standing some there you... watching someone cook. Um, you just saw some of your worst days. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a really awkward like hinge date. Um, but no, um, once they sat oh, down the for the meal. Jokes as well. Oh, she did, yeah. And the hair, you know, let him sort of talk about what a thick skin he's got about the hair loss jokes and... But once they sat down for the meal, that's mm. when this um, police, PTSD, controversial stances he's taken. The African gangs conversation. Yeah. And, and look, and she put these things to him. Um, you know, you could say she gave him a chance to explain himself. Um, and there was like a, a little bit of pushback. I, to be fair, I can't really remember how much pushback she, she gave Morrison back in the day, but there was, you know, she's, he, he was talking about these comments he made um, saying that the Fraser government made a mistake letting in Lebanese immigrants. Mm. Um, this was in the context of, a, of a, a, you know, a failed terrorist attack, an attempted terrorist attack. Um, and she said, you know, how could you say this basically? And he said, you know, and in the moment, you know, mm. in the in the thick and the thrust of it. And she said, you know, it's very hard to see that as anything other than racist, as mm. anything other than a racist remark. And she put it gently because that is how this show goes. But she did say, I don't see how that could be anything other than racism to say that about a group of people. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I again, I, I agree in the sense that I would have to go back and watch um, My Goldfish Brain Does Not Retain <laughs> episodes of Kitchen Cabinet from seven years ago. Um, but I do definitely remember it being a much more fluffy show back in the Like I remember with um, Malcolm Turnbull, they were, Lucy was there, they were having a meal together on the balcony as the sunset, talking about the glorious song, bird song. Mm. It was definitely much more in the gloss and glamour category, whereas this was, it felt like a lot of choices. It felt like Annabelle Crabb was almost a little bit sort of like, no, I'll show you that this can be, this show can go deeper and be a bit more hardy or or at least be uh, ask the harder questions. Like there's a role for this kind of an interview. It's not just fluff because she did keep going at him a bit, you know. But I think I think she had to because it was Peter Dutton. You know, this mm. I, I, I don't – there was probably some strategic decision putting this second, um, but this was the, the interview that people were always going to mm. be the most critical of because mm. this is kind of the peak example of, of – the criticism that Kitchen Cabinet gets, which is that it humanises politicians who do inhumane things and and who don't humanise others. Um, Mm. And so I think it was really necessary. I think she knew a lot of people were going to be watching this. I tuned in because, well, partly I'd written about it that day and then I wanted to see how how right I was. Um, Mm. But, you know, 
she knew that everybody was watching this one. And actually I saw Annabelle Crabb post on Instagram that afternoon saying, hey, I'm, I'm checking out of social media for a few days. Because, yeah, of course. Um, you know, and I'm proud of what we've made and, and this gets too much though. Yeah, I mean, and I, you know, credit where it's due, they, this definitely was, and it was really awkward viewing. There was... <laughs> oh, he came off terribly. Yeah, I mean, and, and I'm sure that her rationale would be, and I'm not sure actually, I don't know what her rationale is, but I'm sure that there is an element of, you know, we ask the questions, we put the, we we give them this opportunity and you can decide what, their character is and it would be very difficult to watch this program and suddenly have a incredibly glowing like oh I've never seen <laughs> the human side of Peter Tuck before now I have I mean you, know, you, was, you, you hope was... people who are watching this do have a bit of media literacy I mean yeah. because he did get a chance to talk about his parents divorce and his um, daughter who was an accident <laughs> oh that was pretty that was... bad as well like that it was just cringe he... like here's an opportunity for you to talk about your family and he described his daughter as an accident yeah <laughs> yeah I mean he said she was a, a good accident um, yeah but still I thought there was another moment that was really important because of course this um interview being aired when we are so close to the date of the referendum with uh, the role peter dutton has played in in stoking misinformation Mm -hmm. and and you know stoking hatred and and all sorts of things um there was a moment where um Annabelle Crabb sort of put to him, you know, okay, so what do you think of when you think of like First Nations communities? And he said, squalor. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he basically, you know, went on his his law and order rant. Yeah, of course. Um, and, you know, you've seen, he, he talks about the, the breakdown of law and order and, and society. And, and she actually says to him, um, it's funny or interesting that you immediately started talking about squalor when I asked you what do you, what is your like first impression of First Nation communities and he you know goes off and defends well, himself and, said, and then he says squalor yeah. again. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that this is the this is the aspect of this show that I find still troubling is it does give him an opportunity you know I mean there is context and you don't get any of the context in this show. Like we've got the context of Howard dog whistling and Mm. in a way Peter Dutton is doing a similar thing. Him being able to dismiss the criticism, you know, when the African gang's criticism is, you know, um, that was based on things that people had been telling me and, of course, Daniel Andrews chose those um, comments and, of course, he would choose those comments to explode in the media and it's like, no, mate, you did exactly the same thing earlier this year. You went... Up into uh, you know, you went on a on a law and order round at a press conference, yeah. up in the Northern Territory, demonising communities in this country. Yeah, you know, demonising First Nations and Aboriginal t- communities. You, this is your playbook. And Annabelle Crabb did come back to that a little bit. She did get him to confess that some of it was designed... That he does say inflammatory things to get the headline. Yes, yeah. yes, and that was a good get. But it felt, it does still feel quite soft, you know? Well, I mean, I think the problem with those questions was it gave him the opportunity to, if he had chosen to, explain away um, things that are really inexcusable, Um 
you know, I'm thinking of sort of she, she gave him a chance to say something nice about First Nation communities and this is the guy who pretends he cares and, mm. and argues that, um, you know, the Anthony Albanese doesn't even go to Alice Springs. Um, and, you know, he, he could have um, used this to try to soften his image, but he was just incapable of doing mm. it. So they were soft questions, but you still got the hard man yeah. on the other side. Well, in, in a way then, yeah, how much of that was the questioning and how much of that was the man? But <laughs> <laughs> there was another really symbolic moment where I was just like, are you f- for real? <laughs> when he took her down to the tree, the, this massive fig tree... <laughs> And he was it really like, was like the worst date of all time. Oh my god! It was yeah, like <sighs> Jesus. If you had, if that was a hinge date, you would have definitely been texting the um, alarm bells to all of your friends. Like, here's my geo coordinates right now. Help! <laughs> um, but yeah, so he's got this enormous, beautiful, old, you know, as he's proudly said, you know, two hundred year old fig tree on his property and it takes you all this time to walk around it and you know like no one can find him here except for the Australian Federal Police but um and I just sort of thought again like what the fuck like you know the things that you're talking about in the media the the dismissive way you talk about climate crisis the dismissive way you talk about any anything to do with like you know, just at least drive straight, you know, like it was just, I don't know. I mean, and in a way, yes, that was an interesting way to expose contradictions in him as a politician. Um, And it was like as a moment of television, there is something about it that was, you know, incredible in its just supreme awkwardness and he couldn't do it. He could not do what other politicians have been able to do on a show like this and and give you a side of him that was different from perhaps what we all think he is. Yeah, I mean... It's impossible for him. There, there just is no other side to him. Um, and so, yeah, I, I do think he came off terribly, like no worse mm. or better than before, but, you know, I, I don't think he came out well at all. And I'm, you know, like there was a really good bit that... um. John Delmonico, who's one of the, the Chaser writers, I think, um, he posted a video of himself on Instagram pretending to be Peter Dutton's <laughs> PR man. You know, oh, yeah, yeah, Peter, did you bring up the PTSD? Yep, yep. Oh, you blamed your racism for it. <laughs> you blamed it for your racism. No, no, no. And it's true. Like he just he yeah. couldn't even nail the, yeah. the poor me, I have PTSD bit, you know. Yeah. Still yeah. Peter. Yeah, still Peter. Well, uh, I haven't watched any other episodes, but, you know, who knows? I might. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> Three. Triple. Let's chat about da, 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 the Labour Conference. <laughs> Done so much chatting about the Labour Conference yeah, this no, week. Uh, let's, uh, what's the triple R angle on the Labour Conference? Did they serve any nice sandwiches? Did oh, you get no, fed for no free? Food. Yeah, no, 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 no. no? It was very, and you had to leave the conference centre to get food. <laughs> really? I, look, I figured the factions had, may have had food in their meeting rooms, but there was certainly not a lot in the media room. Um, but yeah, no, I, I went up to Brisbane for the triennial labor conference. Mm. Um, and I must say, like, I, I don't do a lot of sort of 
you know, press gallery stuff. I'm not in the, the press gallery and it was felt a bit like being the new kid at school. Yeah. <laughs> I was in the press gallery with, um, you know, Paul Karp from The Guardian and Phil Corey from the AFR and Michelle Grattan, you know, handwriting her notes. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, really? yeah, long form sort of. Um, wow. So what's the setup? How, do, how does it work um, from, a, from a press point of view? Well, um, they had a room in the conference centre put aside for people with media passes um and so there was sort of we had desks um you know there was there was like a screen so you could watch what's happening on the conference floor or you could go be on the conference floor and and watch people move various amendments that are all agreed ahead of time uh to the Labour Party's platform um and yeah what was interesting was in the in the morning you'd get a media briefing um Paul Erickson would come in and and brief us on what was coming up in the the next session because they break their platform down into chapters um and so he'd give us a brief rundown of what amendments to expect but not tell us what they were or who was moving them um you know kind of people knew when the AUKUS motion was going to be and Mm. but you know he he kind of explained to us uh, you know it'll be at the end of the session so that Albanese can be there because he's got an event this morning um and so yeah um I suppose I suppose the press gallery works the same way, but I haven't spent any time. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it was it was kind of just this two and a half day event of um, different sessions uh, of, of amendments being moved, yeah. um, and basically journalists running around and trying to catch all the um, the main agitators, as you might mm. call them, people who were putting up motions or who have, you know were sticking it to the government in some way. Um, yeah, because traditionally the, you know, a conference like that, there is debate and there's, you know, there's quite a lot of debate and, and you know about it publicly. But it did feel very much, you know, just as a, a very much of an outsider this year, uh, there was an enormous encouragement for everyone to toe the line and for there to be no debate. And it seemed like a, a very sort of... I mean, I wouldn't say that it seems like a Scientology conference because they didn't have the same budget. (laughs) But there was just something about it just that felt like, all right, so you're not allowed to disagree with with the party line this year or something. I don't know. It just seemed a bit. What was your, you know, what was your sentiment of of that? Yeah, I I think it's been trending this way for a while but um, especially with Anthony Albanese in charge um, being sort of from the left. Um, the left is usually the people who are going to agitate for mm. things. Um, and he gave a speech at the start. Actually, in fact, his kind of entry um, and and keynote speech were to me like the most cultish part of this because, um, interesting, you know, like Wayne Swan opened the conference but then they announced Anthony Albanese and he walked into like fanfare and music and like shook all their hands. No. You know, you see this on TV. What was the but, music? Oh, you know, just, just entry music. <laughs> but, uh, entry. You know, Not but like Donald Trump. It was yeah. all like for the party, about the party. Mm. The only people sitting there watching it who weren't party members were the, the journalists. I don't mm. think any, oh, well, you know, there would also been some, some interest groups and NGOs and stuff, but I don't, think anyone paid five hundred dollars for the observer fee to watch this so it was very much like battening down the Anthony hatches. Albanese walking into the party conference and everybody on their feet clapping and shaking all the minister's hands as he went up on the stage and the, the bit that gets me 
um, that's probably my favourite little moment of the conference is he was speaking about um, that, you know, in the election campaign when he had his his dollar. Um, oh, yes. He was carrying out his dollar because he, he had said, you know, he was asked, would you back a minimum wage rise in line with inflation? Mm. And he said, absolutely. And to me that always felt like something he just kind of said offhand, but then he made it a big moment because the Liberals <laughs> opposed it. Um, yeah. But so he held off his dollar and he said, Remember the dollar, everyone? When they said to me, um, would you back a minimum wage rise in line with inflation? What did I say? And he paused as if everyone was going to answer. And I remembered because I, I write this stuff and this stuff does stick in your head, but no one said anything. And he went, absolutely. <laughs> and was that the right thing to do? Oh and he God. paused again as if they were going to oh say God. absolutely. Oh and then he God. said, absolutely. And then he just kept... Doing it, and by the fourth time, people oh, cottoned on and chanted back, "Absolutely!" But oh, it was the, God. it was so <laughs> cringy trying to get this this chant based, this you know call and response out of the rank and file, oh. uh, and just having it not work. Oh, elbows, um, stop it! But you know, what was your sense of you know? You, do, did you get the sense like, yeah, we got the right government and we're on the right path, or it's kind of like, uh... um, <laughs> <laughs> I think they certainly believed it. There was mm. a lot of um, backslapping and and um, self congratulation, and and you know they did list off their achievements um, in the first year in office, um, but what was really concerning I think was watching um Anthony Albanese stand up there and sort of I'd say warn everyone against not rocking the boat um you know saying you know we can only do things if we're in government you know winning government is also part of our values because if we're out we're out um and that message really does seem to get across to the party um you know I would say that is why a lot of the various interest groups, whether it was the Labor Environmental Action Network or Labor for Refugees um, or Labor for Housing, mm-hmm. didn't go ahead with the full motions they had originally set out and, and instead behind closed doors negotiated with the government to get their motions down to a point that could just be passed on consensus. And so we only saw one actual vote in the entire conference. Wow. Um, which was on AUKUS, which was the one area where I don't think that the... Uh, I don't think there was a middle ground that could be reached between groups like Labor Against War um, and the Electrical Trades Union um, who were anti-nuclear. There was actually no middle point. So they did end up having a public debate on that. But, again, the debate was quite stage-managed. Yeah, I mean, look, passions were felt on either side. Um, They're just paranoid about having the sort of... um, you know, uh, divisions being played out in public. Again. Yeah, I mean, uh, look, it it's, costs them years in government. It's the last no time, secret, so though, years that, out of government, I should say. Yeah, I mean, they are scared of that. But there's no secret that there's dissent in the ranks on AUKUS. You've of had course. Paul Keating out there saying it, and you know, um, Bob Carr, and like, um, yeah. So uh, there's no secret of that. But I think it was really important to them that it still passed the AUKUS motion still passed quite convincingly. Um, And, you know, the debate was passionate. We all knew which way the vote was going to go. They did the vote on the voices that just, you know, yay or nay. Um, And they didn't, no one called for a count 
which I thought was interesting. <laughs> um, and it was very hard to tell because a bunch of the observers yelled nay and their votes don't count. It's only the delegates on the floor who were wow. elected. Um, but, yeah, I, I couldn't tell what the breakdown was from what I heard, but then we had, uh, you know, the defence minister come into the media room and tell us it wasn't close. <laughs> Just, like, it wasn't close. That's, oh my that's what we were told. Um, and I saw that in the reporting. That's what everyone just said that. And I guess he would know the numbers because obviously they'd done the numbers. But I don't know. Oh uh, you know, why didn't someone call for a count so we could actually have the numbers? Yeah, wow. That is – that's incredible really when you think about it, that just the sheer acceptance of of that and um, – no transparency, no accountability. Yeah, look, I mean, I will say I felt like the Australian and Sky News were sitting there just waiting for them to stuff up. Mm. Um, well, of course, and that's why they didn't want any division. That's why yeah, they didn't want debate. Yeah. And I get that. Debate. But, you know, I like I went to but try to speak to... But that's a weird to, way to run a, you know, to uh, govern a country. I mean, it's a, it's a real it's a real problem, I think, um, this lack of, of openness to debate and um, it's kind of stifling the intellectual curiosity of the party. Um, and, you know... I, I, but it will come out. I mean, there's, it just has no... It will eventually, you um, know... No, I think their plan is to just will keep... will eventually rise, you know. Uh, ooh, I, I think people who are still in there on the left um, uh, so f- have drunk so much Kool-Aid oh, that they're... That, yeah, I think if you are really, you know jacked off with the Labor Party, you've already left and gone to the Greens, mm, I, I, okay. I feel. I'm not sure. Like, I mean, there was a little – I did get a little bit of um, tension maybe maybe um, from old left power brokers who mm. are quite frustrated um, with how the party's going. But I feel like the, the rank and file actually seemed, oh, at least when they were talking to me, quite okay with um, shutting up and um, – making sure that they hold government. Hmm. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I think the next election is going to be fascinating. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to be looking over the next couple of months at what's going on with the Labor left and where they're at because, uh, you know, if if the Greens do actually end up with a balance of power after the next Which election... Which is highly possible. I then mean, some people in Labor might stop hating the Greens so much. Well, I mean, yeah. they'll hate them more, but um, they might go oh, you don't actually have to be in the tent to affect change. Those people over there are actually negotiating hard in a way that we weren't with the people inside. Well, Greens and even a lot more independents, mm. I mean, it's which is highly possible because some of the most kind of outspoken and righteous voices in government at the moment are independents and you kind of go, well, actually, you know, you've you've got – there's more dimensions to you <laughs> than anyone in the government. You can understand how a lot of people go, oh, yeah, I'll vote for my local independent. They might be like that person, you know. Yeah. Um, and obviously Kitchen Cabinet didn't help Dutton pose any greater threats, so that's <laughs> <laughs> not coming for that direction. Triple R. We have a rather exciting guest. You're back next week, Rachel. Charlie will be back on board. We've got a great tingle. Yes, (laughs) I know. It's so exciting. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, Laura Tingle. (laughs) 
We're going to be cool. We'll be cool. It's fine. We'll just be chatting to Laura Katinkle. It's going to be cool though. Anyway, um, tune in next week and hear us hear us embarrass ourselves about that. I'm also going to um, I'm also going to be torturing Charlie and Rachel to be exposing some of the, their most um, you know embarrassing, interesting, weird interview journalist media moments uh, on air. As long as you guys subscribe, so you don't want to miss that. I kind of you know blanked them from my memory, but I'm sure I can get them out. <laughs> We'll have a little um, we'll have a little therapy in the studio. <laughs> each revelation. Um, very quickly before we go, there's been a really um, wild sort of story that's um, come out of Kansas, um, and it's sort of developed a little bit slowly, and then has just kind of exploded. And when I first saw it, I just it just grabbed my attention. There's a little paper called the Marion County Record. Uh, in the town of Marion, which uh, has about 1,900 residents. It's in Kansas. Um, And Eric Mayer, the editor, has, you know, a reputation of being um, a bit of an investigative reporter and editor, but, you know, it's your typical small-town newspaper. Uh, Anywho, a a new sheriff arrived in town (laughs) and um, things really took off from there. A few weeks ago, unrelated to the sheriff but kind of related to the sheriff, the the um, county sheriff's office raided uh, Marion County Records offices and on the same night, Eric Mayo, the editor, was at home with his 98-year-old mum. They were sitting um, waiting for her Meals on Wheels delivery and they also raided their house and also a councillor's office. It was just an incredibly heavy-handed raid, um, supposedly uh, investigating. It was as a result of a tip-off that just doesn't seem to make any sense, but investigating identity theft and unlawful acts concerning computers. And apparently a local restaurant owner had accused the newspaper of illegally accessing information about her and in response... Um, the county sheriff's department took all of their equipment so they could no longer publish. And at the same time, at exactly the same time they were raiding the newspaper offices, yeah, raided the editor's house and took his mobile phone and all of his communication devices. And there's since um, uh, been um, footage come out of of them, you know, entering his house and his 98-year-old mother, Joni, like, Ask, telling them, yelling at them to leave. It, it's mm. it's pretty full on. And then the next day, apparently, it c- completely, she was very dis- distressed after that because she'd never experienced anything like this. And it was, you know, a huge number of the constabulary, the a huge number of police came into the ha- into her home and were taking things. And then the next day she passed away. She mm-hmm. died. Mm-hmm. It was – and that's when, you know, the entire thing just completely blew up. Um, but they pretty much shut down the newspaper. Yeah. I mean, they, they did get one out, I believe, the next day. They got an edition – oh, no, it was, it was – sorry, it was five days later. Yes, so yeah, they, were, yeah. they were shut they down were shut for five down. days. They did get one out five days later and it, the, the front page is worth having a look at. because It's they, amazing, isn't it? Yeah, they, they if you Google Marion County record um, front page, it says seized but not silenced and they've got a photo from the raid. Um, 
you know, reporting on their own raid. And then it turns out they were um, they were investigating the sheriff himself, who had recently only arrived in town. Uh, after leaving a previous job under strange circumstances. And I'm going to leave it there. It's like a podcast (laughs) and there's never going to be a next episode. (laughs) Google it, mate. Google it. But it's a really amazing story and it's one of those stories, those media stories that just suddenly explodes onto the world, an amazing sort of story about freedom of press. Um, I'll leave you with one of the um, local Marion's, a resident in Marion, uh, quoted, um, as far as Chief Cody goes, this is the sheriff, he can take his high horse he bought into this community and giddy up on out of town. You just wanted to say that. <laughs> yeah, I really did. <laughs> on that note, we're going to giddy up on out of here. Bye. And that's all for this week. Thanks for listening. You can find us every week on your favourite podcast platform. And you can follow us on Twitter at Sample, at Lily Juice and at The Shuffle Diary. You can also listen in at rrr.org.au via On Demand for the radio version of the show. Want to support Spin Cycle? Become a Triple R subscriber. Your subscription helps keep the station running and helps Triple R produce and create great radio and podcast content like this.